This is Teachable Moments with April podcast, and you guessed it, I'm your host, April. If you're a returning listener and a part of the Teachable Moments with April podcast family, welcome back. For those who are checking me out for the first time, well, hello and welcome. To everyone listening, be encouraged and look for the Teachable Moments that are all around us. Enjoy. If you're concerned about yourself or someone else, please call or text the Lifeline at 988 or chat online at 988lifeline.org slash chat. We're available 24-7 and we're free and confidential. This is Teachable Moments with April podcast. Let's promote National Suicide Prevention Month. September is National Suicide Prevention Month. All month, mental health advocates, prevention organizations, survivors, allies, and community members unite to promote suicide prevention awareness. We can all help prevent suicide. Every year, the Lifeline and other mental health organizations and individuals across the U.S. and around the world raise awareness of suicide prevention during September, National Suicide Prevention Month. National Suicide Prevention Week is the Monday through Sunday surrounding World Suicide Prevention Day. It's a time to share resources and stories as well as promote suicide prevention awareness. World Suicide Prevention Day is September 10th. It's a time to remember those affected by suicide, to raise awareness, and to focus efforts on directing treatment to those who need it most. Hashtag BeTheOneToo is the 988 Suicide in Crisis Lifeline's message for National Suicide Prevention Month and beyond, which helps spread the actions we can all take to prevent suicide. The Lifeline Network and its partners are working to change the conversation from suicide to suicide prevention to actions that can promote healing and help and give hope. Ask. Research shows people who are having thoughts of suicide feel relief when someone actually asks after them in a caring way. Findings suggest acknowledging and talking about suicide may reduce rather than increase the suicidal inclinations. Be there. Individuals are most likely to feel less depressed, less suicidal, and less overwhelmed and more hopeful by after speaking to someone who listens without judgment. Keep them safe. A number of studies have indicated that when lethal means are made less available or less deadly, suicide rates by that method decline and frequently suicide rates overall decline. Help them stay connected. Studies indicate that helping someone at risk create a network of resources and individuals for support and safety can help them take positive action and reduce feelings of hopelessness follow-up. 
Studies have also shown that brief, low-cost intervention and supportive, ongoing contact may be an important part of suicide prevention, especially for individuals after they have been discharged from hospitals or care services. And lastly, learn more. Get message kits, resources, events, and more at the official website. Go to be the one com. Go to B E T H E one two T O dot com to learn more. why the five steps can help. The five action steps for communicating with someone who may be suicidal are supported by evidence in the field of suicide prevention. So we already introduced the five steps um, in a previous uh, segment. We're going to go into more, um, more detail. So the first step of action for suicide prevention is ask. Now how? Asking the question, are you thinking about suicide, communicates that you're open to speaking about suicide in a non-judgmental and supportive way. Asking in this direct, unbiased manner can open the door for effective dialogue about their emotional pain and can allow everyone involved to see what next steps need to be taken. Now, other questions you can ask include, how do you hurt? Or how can I help? Do you ever do not, okay, let me stress, do not ever promise to keep their thoughts or suicides of suicide a secret. Be very honest. Be very transparent. The flip side of the ask step is to listen. Make sure you take their answers seriously and not to ignore them, especially if they indicate they are experiencing thoughts of suicide. Listening to their reasons for being in such emotional pain, as well as listening for any potential reasons they want to continue uh, to stay alive, are both incredibly important. We can't stress this enough. Incredibly important when they are telling you what's going on. Help them focus on their reasons for living and to avoid trying to impose your reasons for them to stay alive. Why? Studies have shown that asking at-risk individuals if they are suicidal does not increase suicides or suicidal thoughts. In fact, studies have shown and suggest the opposite. Findings suggest that acknowledging and talking about suicide may in fact reduce, rather increase suicidal, you know, uh, inclinations. Makes sense in a way. But I do understand why they're Some people think that the best thing to do is just not to go there and by them talking about it, it might bring everything to the surface and then um, will increase it. I understand the, the line of thought with that. But what they're saying here is that by you bringing it up and discussing it, or just giving a list, someone just to listen, because there's so many people out there that feel alone. And they have no one just to even listen. Sometimes that's all you really need. You just need to talk it out. Not necessarily um, advice or or uh, so forth and so on. You just want someone that's there that is actually listening. And it also helps a lot of times someone that you feel that actually cares about you and what happens to you. 
So that makes sense. But I can understand why some people may think that, you know, maybe it's best to just not go there and the person gets all upset and agitated and so forth and so on. So the next one is uh, five. uh, The number two for this is be there. How? This can mean by being physically present for someone, speaking with them on the phone when you can, or any other way that shows support for the person at risk. An important aspect of this step is to make sure you follow through with the ways in which you say you'll be able to support the person. Do not commit to anything you're not willing or able to accomplish. If you're unable to be physically present with someone with thoughts of suicide, talk with them to develop some ideals for others who might be able to help as well, okay? Again, only others who are willing, able, and appropriate to be there. Listening again, so they're going to stress this, and I and I agree. Listening again is very important during this step. I think any step actually to this. Find out what and who they believe will be the best and most effective sources of help. Now, next question to this is why? Being there for someone with thoughts of suicide is life-saving. Increasing someone's connectiveness to others and limiting their isolation both in the short and long term, um, has shown to be a protective factor against suicide. Now, it it, it mentions or referenced uh, an individual called Thomas Joyner's, uh, Thomas Joyner, and then they refer to Thomas Joyner's interpersonal psychological theory of suicide. Hmm. Highlights connectiveness as one of its main components, especially and specifically a low sense of belonging. When someone experiences this state paired with perceived um, burdenness or burdensomeness, arguably tied to connectiveness through isolating behaviors and a lack of a sense of purpose. So a lot of times when people feel a certain type of way, um, they tend to, of course, they isolate themselves. They self-isolate along with others who just feel um, cut off from other people and they are isolated in some way or shunned okay this is my two cents to this and acquired um capability and acquired capability which is a lowered fear of death and habituated experiences of violence their risk can become severely elevated now in the three-step theory okay they refer to something called three-step theory or more commonly known as the um an ideation ideation to action framework uh they have two um experts who theorize that connectiveness is a key protective um factor not only against suicide as a whole but in terms of the escalation of thoughts of suicide to action their research has also shown connectiveness acts as a buffer against hopelessness and that's another factor and psychological pain a lot of people are hopeless okay and the times that we're living in now if you don't have uh, a strong sense of self um and a belief system of sorts and uh, and the other other things that we've talked about just here briefly you're more uh vulnerable to hopelessness but everyone can can have those feelings um that's when you need to really you know kind of um refer to these things anyway so it says by being there we have a chance to elevate or eliminate some of these significant factors 
Now the third out of the five of the uh, uh, things in, in regards to this uh, action uh, steps for this are uh, help keep them safe, okay? So it says how? First of all, it's good for everyone to be on the same page. After the ask step, you've determined and you've determined suicide is indeed being talked about, it's important to find out a few things to establish immediate safety. Have they already done anything to try to kill themselves before talking with you? Does the person, are are they experiencing thoughts of suicide and know how they, oh wow, they would want to kill themselves? Because a lot of times when you're in that, that, um, that headspace, you're thinking of things, you're thinking of ways, what is the best way? You, You fall down almost like into like the bottom, you've hit rock bottom. You don't feel like there's a light at the end of the tunnel, um, so you have all these like very dark and morbid um, fantasies and, 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 and reenactments in your head of how you would go about doing it. And, and sometimes it's in such great detail. So the next thing is, do they have a specific detailed plan? What's the timing for their plan? What, this is what I'm talking about. What sort of access do they have to, uh, to this, okay? of how they want to do this, how, they, how they're going to let people know, their loved ones, friends, if they're going to let anyone know. There's just so many, so many working parts to this. Now, under help keep them safe, the other question that we've been, you notice is how and why. So for this one, it's why. Knowing the answers to each of these questions can tell us a lot about the eminence and severity of danger the person is in. For instance, the more steps and pieces of a plan that are in place, the higher their severity of risk and their capability to act and carry out this plan that they have, okay? Or if they have immediate access to a firearm and are very serious about attempting suicide, then extra steps like calling for emergency help or driving them to an emergency department might be necessary. Now, they say the lifeline can always act, 988, um, act, can act as um, a resource during these moments as a, way, as a well if you aren't already sure what to do next, okay? So that, again, is lifeline, okay, 988. Then it goes on to refer to um, the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health notes that reducing a suicidal person's access to highly lethal means or chosen method for a suicide attempt is an important part of suicide prevention. A number of studies have indicated that when lethal means are made less available or less deadly, suicide rates by that method decline, and frequently uh, suicide rates overall decline, which they've said, you know, already. Uh, Research also shows that method substitution or choosing an alternate method when the original method is restricted frequently does not happen, but don't, I would not just call that off, okay? Still keep that in mind, okay? Keep an eye on them. Even though it may seem like that, it may minimize it, but if they're intent, they're going to, they're, they're going to do it. They're going to attempt to do it again. That's my personal opinion and my experience, Okay. The method, if someone really wants to kill themselves, here we go, they'll find a way to do it. They said that's a myth. Okay. I was just talking. They said the myth, if someone really wants to kill themselves, they'll find a way to do it. Often does not hold true. 
Okay. If appropriate safety measures are put into place. Okay. Well, they're the experts. Um, I just know from personal experience that I I beg to differ. I'm going to be honest with you. I beg to differ. Okay. Uh, And I'll just leave it at that for right now. Uh, The help. The help keep them safe step is really about showing support for someone during the times when they have thoughts of suicide by putting time and distance between the person and their chosen method, especially methods that have shown higher uh, lethality with like firearms and medications, okay? Now the fourth step is help them connect. How? Helping someone with thoughts of suicide connect with ongoing supports like Lifeline 988 uh, can help them establish a safety net for those moments they find themselves in a crisis. Additional components of a safety net might be connecting them with supports and okay resources in their actual communities. Explore some of these possible supports with them. Are they currently seeing a mental health professional? Have they in the past? Is this an option for them currently? Are there other mental health resources in the community that can effectively help? Now, one way to start helping find ways to connect is to work with them to develop a safety plan. This can include ways for them to identify if they start to experience significant severe thoughts of suicide along with what to do in those crisis moments. Now, a safety plan can also include a list of individuals to contact when a crisis occurs. Why? Impact of Applied Suicide Intervention Skills Training on the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, that was a mouthful, uh, found that individuals that called the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline were significantly more likely to feel less depressed, less suicidal, less overwhelmed, and more hopeful by the end of the calls handled by um, the counselors there. These improvements were li- uh, linked to um, an acronym um, ASIST, Assist Related Counselor Interventions, including um, listening without judgment, exploring reasons for living, and uh, creating a network of support, okay? Follow up. How? After your initial contact with a person experiencing thoughts of suicide and after you connected with them, the immediate support systems they need, make sure to follow up, that's important, with them to see how they're doing. Leave a message, send a text, or give them a call. The follow-up step is a great time to check in with them to see if there is more you are capable of helping them with, or if there are things you said you would do and haven't yet have chance to get down, you know, and get done for the person, I mean. So why? This type of contact can continue to increase their feelings of connectiveness and share your ongoing support, letting them know that you're you're there for them. You're always there for them and be genuine, okay, and authentic. There is evidence that even a simple form of reaching out, like sending a postcard, a caring postcard can potentially reduce their risk for suicide. Studies have shown a reduction in the number of deaths by suicide when following up was when it was involved with high-risk populations after they were discharged from, you know, acute care services. This really helped a great deal. Studies also shown that brief, low-cost intervention and supportive ongoing contact might be an important part of suicide prevention, okay? And so then on here, on their particular uh, website, 
um, hashtag be the one two.com it says please visit our follow-up matters page for more so when I come back I'm gonna I'm gonna click on and we're going to explore together what what that is what their follow-up matters page is so stay tuned Welcome back. So I clicked on um, through 988lifeline.org and um, uh, be the one com. They had um, a link that said follow up matters. Okay, and then it reiterates 988 suicide and crisis lifeline is available 24 7. Okay, in case you didn't know that. Uh, so now it goes on follow up care. Follow-up care supports the transition of individuals who are in suicidal crisis as they continue their uh, journey towards recovery. Follow-up is an impactful and cost-effective method of suicide prevention. Researchers shows that a research shows that follow-up with hotline callers and people recently discharged for an emergency um, department or inpatient setting has positive results for both those receiving the care and those providing it. Look at that. So I just want to cut in and uh, if anyone's um, listening now to let you know that this is Teachable Moments with April podcast and the topic is that September is Suicide Prevention and um, Awareness Month, okay? And actually, September 10th is a, a very important day. And we are exploring some of the resources that they have through 988lifeline.org, um, as well as the hotline, and um, uh, hashtag be the one to.com, and some of their uh, ways and resources and things that people uh, can look out for, okay, for those who may be around people that maybe they've been be exhibiting certain um, behaviors, you may have some kind of suspicions or, or worries about someone, they're, they're self-isolating, they're not, they're acting out of character, and they just, they don't seem like themselves, and, and you're worried and you're concerned, kind of give you like a, a, a blueprint or a guideline of how to, um, how to help them, okay? How to help them. The fact that you know them, if you're close to them, is going to be first and foremost because you know them, okay? And um, and just being led by what I believe to be the Holy Spirit, I got to throw that in there, plus the guidelines, um, the methods, the steps that they've given us to kind of help you and guide you, Okay. Okay, so it says challenges uh, post-discharge. This is important. Patients can face many challenges after discharge from any kind of mental health facility, okay, or any kind of care that they've had, okay? It says not attending appointments. Look at that. As many as 70% of suicide attempters never attend their first appointment or maintain treatment for more than a few sessions after being discharged. Another thing that may challenge is like we just said, are gaps in available care. Many people lack access to available resources for care or unaware of the resources that are available to them. Now, this is very, um, very important. A lot of people don't know 
and they're not supported by their community about what kind of um, resources they have. There might be even, even in this day and age, I feel like there's still a little bit of a stigma there, even though um, in certain communities, okay? Um, Yeah. (laughs) Okay, the third one is lack of a support network. This is very real. Patients can experience loneliness and despair following discharge. Those that lack social supports can be particularly vulnerable. It also depends on where you live and um, what you're seeing. And there are a lot of uh, communities, as they say, or areas in which they are bombarded with a lot of hopelessness. They don't, um, there's a lot of things going on, okay? And um, they are constantly seeing violence, and violence begets violence. So that's another important thing. And, and, and what's so important also is that there's a lot of areas that are considered to be or were considered to be um, nice areas that are now experiencing so many, so many things that are just unmentionable. So then the next one is inappropriate or undefined or unidentified, excuse me, care referral needs. Now, referrals from emergency departments or hospitals may not match the patient's needs. So this is um, important if you are, I don't want to say a caregiver or a person on the outside of this, because like I said, you know them, okay? So next we're going to look at partnering to save lives. Now, Crisis hotlines are uniquely positioned to provide follow-up care. So crisis hotlines can do this. We're going to talk about the benefits of them, okay? Provide 24-hour access to staff trained in uh, suicide assessment and intervention. They are thoroughly assessed for risk of suicide. They can provide support. They can offer referrals, develop a safety plan, and dispatch emergency intervention if it is necessary. They also, you can connect directly with local mobile crisis teams, okay, that possibly um, are closer to you. They can come to your home, wherever you, your residency, um, to help give you that, that, that specialized care. Um, avert unnecessary ED, okay, uh, um, uh, visits and better ensure needed ED uh, visits, emergency de- uh, departments, um, visits, and intervene when a caller is not willing or able to ensure his or her own safety. Now, crisis centers have been shown to reduce emotional distress and suicidal uh, inclinations in callers. Uh, Follow-up has the potential to reduce hospital readmissions and additional emergency department visits. So then they move on to say, what is the follow-up process? Now, the follow-up process has the potential to reduce hospital readmissions, like we said, and additional uh, emergency department visits. Um, There are many types of follow-up, and we're going to go into the top five of them. But before we do that, we're going to talk about, just briefly, the little information they have on the screen. Follow-up typically uh, occurs within 24, that's the window of time, 24 to 48 hours following a suicidal crisis or discharge from an emergency department or an inpatient setting and can be done in a number of ways. And now we're going to talk about those top five ways to follow up with someone after discharge. Make a phone call, okay? Simple as that. Send a short text message. 
um, write a letter. If you're old school, write a letter. I love a good letter. <laughs> I love a good card, okay? Um, visit at home. And number five, send them an email, okay? Send them an email. Um, Follow-up begins when a person enters their emergency department, okay? So that's what they're telling us to make the distinction. Um, and continues until they are safely back on the road to recovery. So they're they're giving the... Uh, the guidelines or you know details defined follow begins when a person actually enters that emergency department and continues until they are uh, safely back on the road to recovery okay it's not gonna happen overnight that's like with anything okay so the first step underneath that is uh, assess risk whether your patient has oh your patient has admitted for was admitted for a suicide attempt or just you suspect there's some kind of risk there, suicide risk, okay? It is critical to assess their mental health before discharging them, very smart. Now they have a portion here where someone, maybe me, <laughs> can download certain documents, okay? Or checklists, or resources, if you will. So it says an adult patient with suicidal um, inclination or potential suicide risk. If your patient demonstrates some type of risk identified through universal screening, patient disclosure, or other indicators, because a lot of times people do intake, um, they will ask you, or if you go for um, to see a counselor or a therapist, the first thing that they ask you, have you thought about hurting someone else or yourself? That's the first thing. That's the standard. That much I do know. They'll ask you that. If you're having any kind of issues, even if you're having depression, not necessarily suicide, the intake on the phone or when you actually go to see someone, they're going to ask you, have, do you have thoughts of harming yourself or others? Okay? That's just the holy grail of it. That much I do know. So then it says, this decision support tool developed by the Suicide Prevention Resource Center SPRC can help determine whether discharge following the emergency um, department-based interventions may be appropriate or further assessment by a mental health specialist is needed to make a dis uh, disposition determination, okay? Now, the next one underneath this one is adult patient with suicide attempt as the reason for the visit, okay? If your patient has admitted for uh was admitted for a suicide attempt or and they give say because they're talking about assessments they said or scored uh, more than one on the decision support tool a comprehensive suicide risk assessment should be conducted to determine immediate danger and to make decisions about the treatment then it goes on to list the safe T safe and then a dash and T guide which is uh, obviously an acronym for Suicide Assessment Five-Step Evaluation and Triage developed by uh, HSA, which is another acronym. And I've talked about them actually in the past. Um, this particular organization along with uh, uh, NAMI, N-A-M-I, or yeah, I think it is. Um, but I can't remember what the acronym for this one stands for um but i am going to find out we'll come back to that okay based upon apa uh practice guidelines may be used to meet this objective all right so i wanted to do this before i forgot um uh s a m 
HSA um, is actually Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. And if you guys want to check that out, of course, um, they have um, what used to be Twitter. You can check them on what used to be Twitter, which is now X, Facebook, or YouTube, okay? Um, They are a branch of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. And you can go to samhsa.gov to check out any resources they may have as well. Um, They deal in various addiction treatments, uh, programs, uh, detox, inpatient, outpatient, if you have relapses, um, they invite you to call now um, for free substance abuse consultation. And they are covered by insurance. I just want to put that out there. And I want to give you the phone number. Um, It's uh, 877 okay 2612702 okay and it's 24/7 like i said and it's free admissions call no obligation to enter treatment okay so we're talking about if you're just tuning in we're talking about um uh S A M H S A which stands for substance abuse and mental health services administration and it's a branch of the US Department of Health and Human Services and i just gave the number um, for that, okay, it's 24-7 free admissions call, free, free clinical assessment, and it's uh, 100% confidential support, and when I clicked on their website right away, if you go to, um, like I said, the website versus calling on the side, you will have like someone that will pop up a window and it'll say, hi, we are live and ready to chat with you now, so what brings you here today, so there's so many options and there's so many ways to reach out and get the help that you need. Um, so, yeah. So, I'm looking also on here and it says detox programs, rehabilitation. You can get individual counseling if you want to go to the next step. They have group sessions and they also have addiction treatment uh, therapy. They said that people from all ages, backgrounds, and ethnicities can see their lives or the lives of their loved ones um, uh, harmed by substance abuse. And that's something that's very prevalent now. Um, it was always there, but it, like I said, it's getting worse. And because of certain things, there's just this feeling of hopelessness and isolation. And I think that's a key um, component of what a lot of things that are happening today okay but they are connected also to something called Xena Z-I-N-N-I-A healing um, they have a website as well that is linked to um, to this particular organization um, and it's at xenahealth.com and they said why Xena healing I know I'm going a bit off track from what we're talking about but I do feel like it's um, connected it says treatment protocol okay they have treatment options which are tailored to your needs oh they says spacious rooms with comfortable beds TVs oh okay so this looks like this is something else um, that they offer Wow okay so this is clearly aftercare aftercare um, also not just the rehab portion of it but aftercare okay they said Xena healing offers full-service unique facilities look at that uh, Xena healing facilities have a high completion rate 
compared to the national average, and the alumni of Xena Healing have high satisfaction with their treatment. Okay, I didn't intend to go into that, but that's another option if you are dealing outside of, because you could actually be going through multiple things, obviously. I figure we all know that, but maybe I have to say that. Um, You can be dealing with um, uh, suicidal tendencies. You could be dealing with um, alcohol and substance abuse, uh, um, among many, many, many things. Okay, so I'm going to go back. You know how I can get off topic once something interests me. Okay, so we're going to go back to step two. Okay, to this uh, for the follow-up matters uh, through 988lifeline.org. It says, determine whether to discharge and refer or admit for inpatient care. It says, whether a patient is determined to require inpatient or outpatient care, it is important to begin the process or of discussing follow-up care with them early on. So um, the majority of what we're looking at is, of course, for adult patients. And underneath this particular step, step two, it says adult patient admitted for inpatient care and adult patient discharged with referrals. It says for adult patient admitted for inpatient uh, care is a plan for follow-up care can still be passed on if a patient is determined to require inpatient care, whether initially admitted for suicide attempt or if risk for suicide is revealed post-admission, okay? Follow-up care planning is an essential component of any discharge plan. Makes sense, right? Even with extended or long-term inpatient stay, the benefits of follow-up crisis uh, care network can be discussed. Now, under adult patient discharge with referrals, they say this, for all patients with suicidal uh, inclinations who are being discharged, at least one of the ED-based suicide prevention interventions, and they say listed in what is referred to as the Consensus Guide for Emergency Departments, should be provided. And that's a little link that you, if you can, you can click on. Should be provided, including a plan to follow up care. Always include crisis center hotline information with every brief intervention provided and be sure to involve significant other or others in this intervention if present, okay? And then lastly, for this particular segment of follow-up matters, you have step three, and it says ensure follow-up upon discharge. Follow-up care should be seen as an integral part of service delivery for all patients, whether discharged from an extended inpatient stay or just a brief emergency room visit. Patients who discontinue outpatient care can also benefit from follow-up services. And then underneath this particular step, which we're talking about step three, which is the last uh, step of follow-up matters, is offer follow-up to anyone at risk and or clearly describe follow-up care. So under that offer follow-up to anyone at risk, it says structured, consistently applied protocols are essential for an effective follow-up program. Obtain consent early in the patient's care to ensure a plan is in place and it just flows as much as possible. Ensure the patient has a clear understanding of what the follow-up service actually entails, okay? So then it goes on to say clearly describe follow-up care. Follow-up care provides a safety net between contacts 
and ensures uh, that they continue the care, okay? So that they can reach that level, their, their level of recovery. And continues the assessment, okay? And continues the assessment and management of risk and inform the patient that context may involve, okay? So then it says mood check and risk assessment, review and revision of safety plan, review of discharge plan and upcoming appointments and problem solving obstacles, okay? So in closing, for follow-up matters, a 988 Lifeline for um, for this month, September, is Suicide Prevention Month and Awareness Month. It says for this portion, follow-up care is more than just the hotline number. Follow-up matters. And then it says discussing follow-up care at the right time can save lives and hospital resources and support those in need as they continue their journey towards recovery and then it has a link and it says learn more about this particular project okay so if you're interested in this i'm going to say it again i keep saying it followupmatters.988lifeline.org follow-up starts here This is Teachable Moments with April podcast, and we will be discussing some stories since September is Suicide Prevention and Awareness Month. Um, now I'm going to read to you some stories from uh, people who have been dealing with a variety of mental health uh, issues um, um, from the website for um, 988-988-LIFELINE. Um, and uh, hashtag be the one to dot dot com. Okay, so the first story that we're going to look at is by uh, William F. Morris. Okay, and the name of the article is This is What Depression Feels Like. So these are obviously um, like um, testimonies. Okay, I was published April 11, 2016. So this is on their website. Um, okay. And it's from thecrimson.com. It's connected to this particular, um, it's published there, the Harvard Crimson. You eat, but you aren't able to taste your food. You try to write your paper or work on your, your work, but all you can do is think to yourself, what is the point? You try to get out of bed in the morning, but you just can't escape. It's almost magnetic hold over you. So you sleep and you sleep and you sleep and sleep becomes your drug of choice and you abuse it constantly your old hobbies and passions no longer have the same appeal and none of them match the sense of security you feel when you're wrapped up tight in your bed sheets you sleep to escape the thoughts the fear and the overwhelming sense of hopelessness and dread that seems to seep from your pores but when you leave the house you keep a smile spread on your face because you know your friends won't understand you feel isolated alone like there is no one in the world you could possibly understand the darkness that you're in god you wish and you pray that the pain can go away but it doesn't it gets worse and worse and worse and then you think to yourself should i end it all Eventually, that's all that you can think about, that question, and more questions follow. 
What does it mean to be alive? Why are you here? What's the point? And you drown in these thoughts and you're drowning, you're drowning, and you feel like no one is there to save you. This year, our campus has experienced a series of conversations about the issue of mental health in our community. It's difficult for me to express how thankful I am for these conversations. Harvard can be a wonderful place, but as we all know, it can also be a pressure cooker. For many of us, it was our dream for our entire lives is to go to school here, which is why the reality of the mental health situation on this campus can be quite startling. This place can be so cold, so isolating. People are so busy all the time that it is easy to feel alone. We have had almost one suicide every year, and the anxiety on this bustling campus is almost palatable. I love Harvard, but the administration and student leadership must continue to improve the mental health condition on this campus. As a part of this process, I believe it is necessary for us to come together as a campus to talk about the times when we felt hopeless, when we felt lost. For the sake of those of us living every day in silence and suffering, it is vital for Harvard's student body to come together and say, you are not alone. Telling these stories can be difficult in a place where prestige and face mean so much. The social cost of opening up to people that you don't know seems like it would be crippling, right? I fear the stigma surrounding mental health. I'm more than my I'm more than my depression, yet I'm afraid that for some people my mental health condition will be all they associate with my name. But I'm certain that our campus desperately needs people to come forward and talk about their mental health, which is why I will tell you my story. This past May, John Lee, a friend from back home, committed suicide. My third friend to die in four years. He and I knew each other since we were babies and grew up together and co-captained our, uh, our school's academic bowl team. Our friendship had its ups and downs, as all real friendships do, and right before I left for college, he had a fa- we had a falling out, something that I will regret for the rest of my life, to be honest. <sighs> for months after John Lee's suicide, I was numb. During this time period, I was able to go about my daily life as usual, okay, between final exams, an intense summer job, and the start of the next semester, I never took the time to process his death. Now, last semester, likely as a means to avoid coming to terms with the loss of my friend, I filled every single minute and every single second with school and extracurricular activities. I barely slept. I rarely ate and was always on my feet. I felt that as long as I stayed busy, I could outrun the memories and thoughts that threatened to drag me down into that darkness. By the middle of the semester, though, it proved too much. Like a house built upon sand, my mental health status remained unstable as long as I avoided coming to terms with the death of my friend. Depression hit me like a truckload of bricks, knocking me off my feet and hitting me while I was down again and again and again. By never taking the proper time to come to terms with John Lee's death or the death of my other two friends, I allowed what should have been a natural process of grief to transform into an overwhelming state 
of depression. I began to question the point of school, of my extracurriculars, even my own, my own life. My attempts at the first two paragraphs of this article to convey the depths of my emotions are, to be frank, woefully insufficient. Suffice it to say, this was a dark time for me. Now, my experiences with depression made it necessary for me to take time off. Now, my schoolwork no longer felt relevant as I was trying my best to stay afloat in a time when just eating and sleeping regularly felt like too much to handle. Ultimately, I decided that one way for me to overcome the overwhelmingly negative emotions that were consuming my life was to attempt to direct them into a positive outlet. I've traveled around, speaking to audiences about my history of mental health, and worked with the public defenders, and I worked with the defenders, uh, public defender's office in Alabama, excuse me, where I have seen firsthand the ravaging effects of mental health conditions on our nation's low-income communities. In particular, I've seen yet again that many people use their drug or substance of choice as their last refuge, something that occurs on this campus as well, if you didn't know that. My time off in Alabama has been transformative. It has allowed me to gain new perspectives on the mental health in our society and thankfully to take positive steps and coming to terms with my own demons. Now, why did I write this article? Hmm. It is my sincere and honest belief that we will all encounter a situation in our lives that pushes us into an existential, that's hard for me to say, chasm, existential, I'm sorry, I can't say it, forcing us to crawl up on our hands and knees to attempt to rediscover the light. Now, I'm going to break in. I can relate to that. When you, when you, get caught up in things that are are negative and the things that that are just part of life a lot of times if you don't have a firm uh, foundation or you lose your footing because we're all imperfect human beings I think he said it best you feel like you're crawling up on your hands and knees to attempt to rediscover the light you feel like you've fallen in a dark and bleak place and you cannot see the light you can't reach the light and in his words you can't rediscover the light I know very well that feeling I believe this is a basic aspect of humanity that it is natural it is what I fear however is that there are some people who feel alone in their struggle a lot of times you do even though on some level you know this is me talking (laughs) that you know that you're not alone But it's something within us humans that we feel alone, even though we know better. I don't know. I guess that's part of the human condition. The article goes on to say, who feel like there's no hope. Okay. The power of storytelling is tremendous. It brings us together to reflect on our common humanity, something that is easy to forget in an era of smartphones and social media uh, media echo chambers. I like how you put that. I hope that the story of my experience with depression and how I almost convinced myself that I was alone, see that's what I'm talking about, and that my life was meaningless will help people feel comfortable talking about their own experiences. I think this is also um, a part, uh, a ploy of the adversary. He wants to convince you and get in your head that you are alone, that no one cares, um, that you have no hope. 
and only within that that headspace can he work work on you and get you to go into places that you were never meant to go okay um and and you lose your purpose in God and in his son Jesus Christ okay so the article goes on to say because the truth is we are not alone in our mental health struggle no matter what depression tells us it's a very it's a very effective tool this is something that miss mary often brings home to me and she comes up with different things on in regards to it and i've done some episodes on depression and how uh from a christian um or believer however you want to say it, christianity christian or believer uh view that the adversary uses fear he uses depression and he uses other things to put you to move you further and further away from the creator okay because when you're devoid of the creator it leaves you open you you become a doorway a doorway to very to the very to darkness basically when you have no hope when you have no love you have no compassion you have no empathy you you just you're just devoid that's when all the darkness comes through and that's his department so i'm just feel like i got to interject that so then the the at the end of the last line for this particular article this testimony by this young man uh william f morris is we are here for each other and we care and we will listen moments with april podcast and today we're talking about um september is um suicide prevention and awareness month and this is testimony too from um the website for um hashtag be the one two.com and 988 um lifeline uh, uh suicide hotline um, for this particular one, um, it is entitled to the people who stuck by me after my suicide attempt by Savannah Lloyd. And it was uh, updated July 28, 2020. Okay. Now it shows uh, like a little thumbnail picture of her and a link to her social media websites. But I'm just going to read um, this very short but very powerful testimony that she has here okay now underneath this it says the mighty the mighty.com okay and it says number one thank you for seeing me at my worst and still loving me i know it must have been incredibly difficult to see me like that it was hard for me too number two thank you for never giving up on me even when i gave up on myself you are the reason i forced myself to stay alive after the second attempt number three thank you for sitting up with me when i felt alone i know it was probably hard talking to me in that state and i truly did appreciate your efforts number four thank you for not seeing me as a lost cause i looked in the mirror and saw nothing but wasted space and rotting potential in my eyes i was worth nothing but through your eyes i started to see myself as something number five thank you for not making me talk about it before i was ready i know you wanted to know what was going through my head 
when it happened, and I know it was hard to comprehend why I tried to end my life. Number six, thank you for reminding me I am loved. The thoughts that always ran through my brain told me otherwise. Number seven, thank you for joking around with me like you always did. I needed the hint of normality in my life when everything else was a mess. Number eight, thank you for the extra hugs. I was never a big hugger, but looking back, the hugs definitely brought a smile to my face. Number nine, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for giving me space when I needed it. And I know it must have been hard to leave alone, leave me alone when I was still in such a fragile state. You probably worried about what I might do to myself when I was alone, but I really did need my own space to heal. And number 10, thank you for loving me more than I love myself. Your love and support pushed me to keep breathing, to keep putting one foot in the front of the other, to stay alive. I may not have loved myself enough to keep living, but my love for you kept me alive. If you or someone you know needs help, visit our suicide prevention resource page. And then it says, if you need support right now, call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255 or text START, all caps, to 741-741. This is Teachable Moments with April podcast, and we're talking about um, suicide. We're talking about September is Suicide Prevention and Awareness Month. Um, there is another testimony um, that I would like to share. Um, it's quite extensive, so I think that what I will do is I'll just tell you where to find it. There's a website called livethroughthis.org, and it says Matt Fried. Okay, and it says Matt Fried is a suicide attempt survivor, and this is his story. I strongly invite you to go to his website and also his social media. Okay, um, it looks as though he has a podcast as well, and he also has something on his website that says Tell Your Story. So, if you have a story that you would like to share, um that's also very um, important. He also has a section on in loving memory, which I'm thinking people who maybe didn't make it, um, obviously, and maybe succumb to those feelings that often lead us to do the things that we do. Okay. Um, it looks very, very well made. Um, it says Matt Fries works in the food uh, service business. He also writes about mental health, depression, and suicide. It says he was 34 when I interviewed him in Brooklyn, New York on April 21st, 2014. Um, so if you want to read that, it's on his um, the main page that, in an interview with Matt Fried. I'm going to read at the bottom um, what it says, okay, about live live I'm sorry live through this live through this is a series of portraits and true stories of suicide attempt survivors its mission is to change public opinions and attitudes about suicide for the better to reduce prejudice and discrimination against those who attempt suicide and their survivors and to provide comfort to those experiencing um 
feelings of suicide by letting them know that they're not alone. So you see that that same theme here of what leads people ultimately. There are many, many reasons, but that one seems to stand true is feeling like you're alone. And tomorrow is possible that go that that clicks into hopelessness or lack of hope. To give insight to those who have trouble understanding the whole thing. Because I've talked to people and this is just me. This is not on the page. And a lot of people will tell you they've never had those thoughts. They've never, they've never had those thoughts. And I'm not trying to say anything about people, you know, I don't know everything. I'm imperfect. But I'm not so sure about that. I'm a little skeptical. I think that maybe they're just not in touch with it or they're a bit of denial. I think at some point in everyone's life and some people more than one one time more than twice more than three times um but I do think that every living being if they're allowed to live a certain amount of time they've had the feeling that they are alone and that they they lack hope some type of circumstance something has happened and they just can't see They just can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. You know, even if you are filled with faith, you have moments in which you're just like, you're unsure. I think it's part of the human condition. Um, That's just my thoughts. People may not agree with me, but I, I am skeptical. I may not speak on it when people say things. They'll say, oh, I've never thought of that, or I don't know why they did that, or so forth and so on. But I think if we're really honest and we really think about it, I think certain people may be more extensive in their in their thoughts and how many times they fall short in that in, in that way. Not to mean by falling short that they're less than um, other people, but I think there are some people that they're just have certain things in their character and certain things in their personality that make them susceptible, so to speak. We all have our flaws and we have things about us. Flaws is not the right word because to me it means deficiencies um, in a negative way. I don't mean it in a negative way, but it's something that is a challenge. Maybe that's a better word. And um, if people are honest, we've all had dark thoughts. We've all had dark thoughts and we wonder why. Why should I continue? Why should I go on? And I think once you embrace that and you acknowledge that, um, then you can move forward. Those are just my personal thoughts. You may not agree and I respect that. You know, we are not going to think the same. We're not going to feel the same um, about certain things. And I respect that. I'm not a person that gets angry right away when someone has a different uh, standpoint than myself. So that's my two cents. Okay, so on here it says, also it's catharsis to those who have lost a loved one, okay? And to be used as a teaching tool for clinicians in training or anyone else who may benefit from a deeper understanding of first-person experiences with suicide. Then it goes on to say, 
like a little poem or a little something and I want to share it with you. It's more toward the bottom of his page and it says, please stay. If you're hurting, afraid, or need someone to talk to, please reach out to any one of the resources below. Someone will reach back. You are so deeply valued. Okay, so you kind of question your value as well. Um, so incomprehensibly inco- inco- <laughs> love. Today I'm like tongue-tied. Uh, even when you can't feel it. Okay, and you are so worth your life. Okay, life is a gift and God gave it to you. Those are my words. It's not on his page. Um, You can't see it when you're in that dark place, but it is so true. Okay, Um, also, he has some resources, of course, that says you can reach, and it talks about 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline by dialing 988. It also has trans lifeline which is at 877-565-8860 which is in the u.s if you're in canada for trans lifeline call 877-330-6366 okay if you're in canada then it gives the trevor project which is 866-488-7386 okay and then it also says if you'd like to talk to a peer You can go to warmline.org, okay? And it contains links to warm lines in every state, all right? Um, Yeah, that's basically what I would like to say from that, from his particular webpage. Um, And it says, Live Through This is dedicated to the lives of so many friends and family members who were lost to suicide over the years okay if you would like to add to the name oh and you can also add a name of a loved one to to a list that they have on this particular uh web page and um it says um you can add to the list and also he says please email me okay so we got stories we got a store if you'd like to donate you got that too um you can contact him like i said you can share your own personal story um, because, um, we learn from each other. Um, there's also a campaign, um, that's hashtag stay campaign. Okay. By sharing a picture of you in your, in your live through this gear. Oh, okay. Um, and you can subscribe. I would, I would, it looks pretty solid. I haven't gone through everything, but just at first glance, it looks pretty solid, um, website. Um, and it looks like it has a very intriguing uh, testimony by this young man, uh, Matt Fried. So check it out. If you do, um, before I post anything from, if you know, as a follow-up, feel free to contact me and let me know what you liked the best or what stood out to you. just listening to teachable moments with april podcast i truly hope you enjoyed this episode we invite you to stay connected with us on the other social media platforms of ours which is tiktok pinterest instagram threads and youtube also we'd like to invite you to check out our official podcast landing page on podpage.com slash teachable moments with april to see all our content in one place 
and leave personal messages, feedback, and more.